Oh, oh, Brian, that's something I've been to ask you. Yes, Vince? A fun question for our mailbag episode or, or our AMA episode. What Magic the Gathering format do you miss the most? Oh, I miss Commander. Sorry, Brian, I didn't quite hear you. You miss Commander? I miss Commander as a format. Too bad it all but died out as the year of Commander ended. Now we are in the year of modern. All that matters is modern. Even if we pretend that, like, this is the year of modern, there's been plenty of, like, incredible designs in Modern Horizons and Strixhaven and Calderheim. I mean, look at the Squirrel Commander, Brian. Yeah, that just proves what a dead format Commander is. Only way to get those Commander cards out there is to sneak them into more popular formats, like Modern and Standard. Don't you have, like, 15 Commander decks literally on the table next to you? What, these? Oh, I just like to collect relics of the past, that's all. But as far as actually playing Commander, that's not something people like doing. Brian, we're literally in a game of Commander right now on Spell Table. Professor, it's been your turn for 20 minutes. F move. Oh, oops. Uh, Overload Cyclonic Rift? Cyclonic Rift again? For the love of God. See? No one likes playing Commander anymore. Hello and welcome to Dies to Removal, the yearly podcast where Pleasant Kenobi and myself sit down to talk about all things Magic the Gathering and then disappear for another year. Vince, good to see you again. How have you been? It's been a while. Thank you, my friend. I'm out of hibernation. I've just come out of the uh, year-long uh, DTR hibernation into blistering UK heat with no aircon. So I'm going to progressively get more damp as this video goes on, just to pre-warn the audience at home. I think everyone has been waiting for a damp Kenobi for, for some time. So we're yes. very excited to see you progressively get more and more moist. <laughs> I'm, I'm very well, and I'm excited because today we're talking about Modern Horizons 2, and I think that the best way to begin talking about Modern Horizons 2 is actually to look back at Modern Horizons 1 and maybe compare and contrast these two sets. We actually have been doing Dice to Removal for so long that you can go back and watch our Dice to Removal on Modern Horizons 1. Watch Vince and I in no way recognize that Hogak is going to be an mm -hmm. enormous problem. And also hear me be particularly pissy about Modern Horizons 1. I was angry and upset about what it was going to do to Modern because I felt it was introducing rotation and uh, creating issues for a format that I liked to view as only old cards and not specialty sets, such as Modern Horizons. But now that we've been two years out on Modern Horizons 1 and entering Modern Horizons 2, I don't know that I feel that way at all anymore. But before I talk about that, Vince, what do you think when you think back to Modern Horizons 1? Um, I look back to it fondly. I, I, want, I want to ask you how you feel looking back on it as well. So yeah. we'll that more in a second. Um, I, I, I loved it. I, absolutely, I enjoyed it at the time. I made a lot of videos and shouted a lot about the problems, like Hogak has it become. But like... Retroactively, I think Hot Modern Horizons 1 is one of my favorite format, uh, um, sets that they've released in forever. Okay, it's probably my top five. I loved drafting it, wow. and I loved a ton of the cards that came in it. So my looking back with hindsight, very, very positive. And obviously, you've already mentioned how much you disliked it at the time. Well, I think I was quite excited. 
I was very upset. So I've explained this in another video, but I'll give a short recap of why I was so upset. I always loved Modern as the set where our old cards that are not on the reserve list go to be played with. And I liked it as a kind of capsule of that. I liked the idea that I would play in standard or draft or go and seek out old cards from the sets that I missed playing in. And I would have a kind of playground where those cards always are legal, always exist. And, and it has that, again, kind of isolation from, you know, cards that are designed for it. Like we get cards designed for commander and that changes commander in some ways, or at least changes our decks. And I just liked this idea of just vintage, but not actually vintage magic cards being playable and not having to deal with issues like the reserve list. And that was modern to me and it was what I really liked about it. And then Modern Horizons 1 comes along and it's like, we're making all these cool cards for modern. You're gonna need to get them for modern. And I felt that it it went against the spirit of the format in yeah. that sense. And that led me to a lot of frustration. The fact that the packs were, oh my God, $6.99 a pack instead of $3.99 a pack here in the US really upset me. I was like, if they had at least done $4 a pack, I could maybe live with it. But now I got to spend $6.99 a pack. The professor was angry at that outrageous price of $6.99 a pack. I mean, and so he should have been, and so he should have been. But the the thing you say about eternal formats is interesting, though, because, I mean, originally both vintage and legacy were lumped together here, and then modern in terms of time periods, and then pioneer as well to a lesser extent. All of these formats were meant to be for your rotating standard right. decks in many ways. Like you get you get cards in the newer sets that then go into those old form those old archetypes, but it's for your decks to rotate and still be playable. And that never it never really held true to that for the most part, especially as time went on and we got power creep and power creep and power creep. But then in recent time, it's got worse towards not being that. You thought it was modern horizons that would do that, and one of the points I've written on my notes that it wasn't just horizons that did that. It was the Horizons War the Spark period onwards of Power Creep that has turned these formats into rotating formats. Like you kind of said in the Horizons video, I don't think Horizons did it, but every set in, in combination going forward with Throne of Eldraine and Ikoria, if you look at the ban lists, they did. They just reinvigorated and changed and actually reinvigorated is positive. They warped the format on and on and on, and now we have regular bans, regular Power Creep... Yeah, so I think you're right with what you were saying about it, but it turned out that Modern Horizon wasn't the culprit. It was contemporary design in many ways. Yeah, and looking back on it, I have uh, mixed feelings. I, I'm not going to go so far as to say I was completely off base. I definitely think I let my... Because I was very emotionally attached to that old modern format. And I def you can see it. I think at one point in our video, I slammed my fist down on the table in genuine just being ticked off at, at what I saw happening. And I think that was too far. You know, we get emotionally wrapped up yeah. in our hobbies and the things we love. And so better that than apathy. But I do think that it's okay sometimes for things to end and that there is a new modern format in a sense that, that has been brought about by these sets. And that's actually cool. I'm feeling really positive about Modern Horizons too. I actually don't have any level of upset save one, if you can guess it. There's only one thing and one thing alone that I can think of that has me pretty pissed about Modern Horizons 2. Everyone can guess what it is, I'm sure. But other than that, I, I, I really feel very happy and excited. And while the modern format that I fell in love with maybe is kind of not what this yeah, current modern dumb. format is, 
it's okay. That doesn't mean simultaneously that what now is modern is bad. I'm very excited. I haven't been this excited for modern in a long time. I still have reservations about Modern Horizons 1. I love what Modern Horizons 2 is doing, especially in terms of the reprints and including reprints from Modern Horizons 1, which I think helps a lot. Whereas mm -hmm. Modern Horizons 1 had very little in the way of reprints. They were just the legacy reprints and they weren't yeah. too engaging for me. They were really yeah, reserved. Well, there was no good yeah. money ones either, was there really? Um, no. I, I do think though that we've, maybe as a community and as content creators, we've kind of got used to how things have changed. So back then, when, when was this? When was One Horizons 1? A year ago? Two years ago? How long ago was it now? Two years ago. Okay. So I think at the time, and I was like this at the time as well, I did a lot of videos about how they're constantly warping formats with new cards. And now fast forward two years, it's happened so much. And my, the way I make content has changed and the way I play the game has changed and all of us with the pandemic and such. I'm now like, oh, well, I'm, 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 I'm kind of excited to see what they muck up next. I've kind of got to the point where I've, I've had to change my attitude and my relationship with Magic because Magic is not the game it was two years ago. Because two years ago, things were kind of kept in a status quo. And now every new set makes Legacy and Modern just like flip on its head, flip on its head, over and over and over. So I think we've all got used to that as well. So that might be why both of us are more optimistic about this set than perhaps before. I must admit that a huge thing that made me uh, happy about Modern Horizons 2 is being frustrated, disappointed, or unhappy with sets like Akuria or uh, Zendikar Rising and what effect they had with that, what you described, that power creep push. And it's kind of made me want to just be disassociated from them. And so instead, I look in some ways at Modern Horizons 2 as just a regular magic set that's cool and coming out. And it isn't about all that baggage that I had associated with Modern Horizons 1 where I was like, this is making a soft rotation into Modern. This is destroying what I loved about Modern. And it's just like, oh, wow, these are some really cool cards. There's a lot of really cool reprints. There's a lot of really cool throwbacks. There's a lot of really cool everything. Design, humor, joy, power, mm -hmm. but not, I mean, who knows? We might see something that ends up, we're going to say, oh, that turned into Hogak 2.0. But as of now, as of now, I'm I'm super excited and happy. I, I can't wait. And, and I, I want to talk about those things. Have you guessed the one thing I'm ticked off about though? So what was it then? What, what, what are you so bugged about? What is it? What is it? Well, yeah. Vince, I just looked it up two years ago when Modern Horizons was released, a booster box of Modern Horizons at the time that I was playing the booster oh, box game. Right. One, I want, are you ready for the number? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready one, for it. And I know we're going with this now, right. $189 per box. It was that was available. expensive at the time, Brian. I was upset. I was <laughs> genuinely upset. Uh, there, there was a moment where we saw a surge in prices that brought it up to 200, even 210, 220 per box momentarily after release when people wanted some of the legacy cards like Renan 6. Uh, Urza certainly was a chase card. Mm -hmm. Hogak for a minute was in everything and there was this run on Modern Horizons, but then it dipped back down after those moments cooled off. And there was actually a period where some boxes were available in the $160 range after there were some bans from Modern Horizons. But on average, it's very safe to say that Modern Horizons booster packs were $6.99 per pack uh, uh, with, a little bit, with a little bit of swing. I can't remember if it was our Horizon. I, I remember sitting in, was Horizons a remote one or face-to-face? Because -face? you've always gone back and watched it and I haven't. 
Horizons was we were still remote. remote. Uh, okay, it was because I've I've ago. sat in your office on at least two occasions I think and shouted about how this set would be much better if it wasn't premium priced. Must be talking about Ultimate sure. Masters and something else, like you know. And I've banged that drum a lot on my channel, and I remember. So I'm pretty sure I was banging that for Horizons One as well because I love Masters set so much. They're one of my favorite things about Magic, and every time I'm like, why is this premium priced? Why is this premium priced? But Vince now being able to get Modern Horizons for six ninety nine a pack is not. A premium price because are you ready for the current prices on Modern Horizons 2? Before we do, how many how many prices do you give me? How many products are you talking here? How many how many SKUs or whatever? Well, that's another change. That's another change because unlike Modern Horizons 1 and unlike every master set, master sets have never had a pre-release. There's never been pre-release kits for master sets. I believe Conspiracy 2 had a technical launch slash pre-release event, but it did not have any actual product. It was just open up the booster boxes and try and get people into the store. There are pre-release kits for Modern Horizons 2. There are bundles for Modern Horizons 2. There are set boosters for Modern Horizons 2. And there are, of course, collector boosters for Modern Horizons 2. And the collector booster boxes where all those good treatments are, all those good things. The foil so Modern the, Horizon so five one. different products then. Yes. Right. Okay. Or possibly so, one I forgot about. At least five. There's no commander but, deck for this, is there? That's the bit I was expecting them to announce. I'm surprised. They, they, yeah, they did I'm no sure. commander deck for it. They don't need to. Modern but, Horizons 2. Collector booster box. Uh, this has got uh, 12 booster packs in it. 12 booster packs. Uh, it's four hundred twenty nine dollars and ninety nine cents currently pre ordering. But of course, there there are were no collector boosters for. Modern Horizons, so why don't we do the direct comparison, the draft booster box. There was only draft booster boxes of Modern Horizons 1. Here we've got draft booster box of Modern Horizons 2. Obviously, we are technically still in pre-order, uh, but these are prices that seem pretty consistent across the board. Looking at online marketplaces, remember that we're talking 189.99 was Modern Horizons 1. Modern Horizons 2 is nearly double that at $299.99 for a Modern Horizons 2 draft booster box. It's, it's bizarre because it's selling out or, or selling very well. Let's hope, fingers crossed, means that things like Fetchlands, we won't go into too into this because we're not MTG Finance, but Fetchlands will go down in price because there'll be more of them on the market. But at the same time, it just tells Wizards that they can keep putting the price on product up. So it's the double-edged sword, right? Maybe we'll see some internal staples go down in value, but the products just get dearer and dearer. We said it two years ago after Modern Horizons with Ultimate Masters that... Uh, where is the ceiling, right? Where is the ceiling? And I guess we haven't hit it yet. We're just going to keep creeping. We're going to keep creeping for like uh, standalone product pricing. And it's a weird thing because in my situation, I would just say, you know, if it wasn't for the price, I would love, like if somehow, some way, this set was printed like Conspiracy at $4 a pack or what have you, I would just be like, through the moon for this. Yeah. I, I, I would be going out of my mind and it's just the price and maybe it's time, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but maybe it's time to start divorcing myself from this idea of the $4 booster pack and start looking at Magic the Gathering as a expensive only product. I don't know how I feel about that. That might be another thing. Let me give you a couple other prices though on what's coming with this because we also have set boosters, Vince. We also have set boosters. These are 30 booster packs uh, to a box. However, however, they are uh, 
going to contain art cards, and I don't really know what special treatments will only be in the set boosters. There's pie charts and graphs for it. There are infographics on the official Magic's Twitter profile that you can dig back for, or... Or there's a video on my channel where I stand in front of them and point at them and I tell people I can't remember what they are. But they're there. You can look at the video. You can pause it every couple of minutes to see what's in each one. I, I can't I don't know what's in a. I, I don't know what's in a set booster. I liked your video on it because I liked that your ultimate conclusion... Spoilers, I'm going to link it. It's up on the screen now. The thumbnail, go watch it. I, I agree with Vince in this video, which it's basically, if, if you tell me if you agree with my summary of your video, it's basically, yeah, this is really confusing and really frustrating, and I wish it were more clear, but I really love the treatments. I think they're really cool. It's a good thing for the players to have this stuff. I just find it frustrating and and that I don't know what's in a set booster box to get what I want. Yeah, because you're sat here telling me these price points of like three different booster products as well as other stuff. And honestly, I don't even think I would ever want to go to the set booster product because I don't know if I'm getting a bad deal because I can't remember what's in it. And I also don't want to have to look at a guide when I go to the shop. So it, but then that pushes me to either end of the spectrum. I either go cheap as possible for draft boosters to draft with or do I have to go to... It's a very strange strategy. I can't imagine most people settle for set boosters and feel happy about it because they feel like you're missing out on collector at that point. It's just... Weird. Very weird. So Vince, mm -hmm. with all of this that we've said about price, do you think this is too expensive? Do you think this is not too expensive? I mean, obviously we want things to be cheaper, but are you upset are you upset about cost? Or or do you think eh it makes sense because there's a lot of value in here? But I, I don't know. I, it might be because things just get dearer and dearer that I'm it's similar to the power creep thing, right? Where I don't want formats to get warped and now I'm just used to it and I'm ready for it. I'm kind of like indifferent now. I'm like, I do think it's too expensive. I don't think this game should aim to become more expensive. That doesn't seem very much towards the goals of making the game widely accessible, which is something I believe in. But at the same time, I'm like, well, it's just getting worse. So maybe this is the maybe this is the calm before the storm. And I'm not I'm not even saying that just to be silly. I'm being serious. Like things are just gonna get dearer and dearer. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not keen on it, but I'm also getting to the point where I'm indifferent. Yeah, I hate to say it because I know that this my whole thing, but I feel kind of just as far as the rising price, I feel kind of the same way I do with universes beyond. Numb. Yeah, just numb and just really feeling like I don't like it, but I under I, I can't fight it. We can't we we can't make Modern Horizons 2 cost less than Modern Horizons 1, and when this is going to sell, which it will, Modern Horizons 3 will cost probably even more. They will continue until they make a premium product that is so expensive that it it goes unsold, essentially, and then they'll have the ceiling. They're, yeah. they're going to continue doing this, so whether I agree or disagree, it's what it is. It sucks, but I used to think that we could get through to Wizards of the Coast about why they might want to charge less, but now I feel like that's... No. It's just the, like... They just made record yeah. profits. All bets, all bets of impacting their, their wallet are off. They've made record profits. Card games are booming elsewhere as well, which makes incentivizes them to try and, you know... Uh, work towards that kind of situation for Magic as well. No, it'll be, we, yeah, our, our, our days where we thought the impact could happen are gone, Brian. Yep. They're just uh, making it's, money hand over They are, and, and people <laughs> are buying it. Uh, so in terms of the product in isolation, I don't have any complaints about this product in isolation. I, I, I love it. I just don't love the price, but it's going to keep going up. People are going to keep buying it, and the people who stop 
it doesn't matter because it's still selling more than when those people played. So what are you gonna do? It's it's like that scene from The Simpsons. You just lost yourself a customer as everyone's holding up money and and buying the product like crazy. It's just, it, it's like, well, sorry to see you go, but we're making more money than ever. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. I think it's outrageous that Modern Horizons 2 would be this much more expensive than Modern Horizons 1. I think it's outrageous to see costs on the bundle, but I think but I think that Modern Horizons 2 is is an amazing set. It's funny people so, so people have been talking on social media about how good the set is, right? And then it's always it's always underpinned ever so slightly by a few people replying on like Twitter or whatever going, well, "That's a shame I can't buy any packs, so I can't afford to draft it or whatever." But so yeah, the set looks good. <laughs> the set looks good. <laughs> Yeah, set looks good. Uh, you know what looks good in the set, Vince? Yes. White cards. I want you mm-hmm. to tell me, just in isolation of everything else, what do you see happening with the white cards in this set, and what do you think of it? Okay, so white has finally got some new tax pieces. So uh, I'm going to talk about a handful selection of cards that sort of exemplify themes that we're seeing in white ongoing. So obviously white is the color of taxes, and people are expecting this. So the the first like. Uh, marquee card is Esper Sentinel. So Esper Sentinel is this one mana, one one that's going to draw your cards when your opponents cast spells. It's going to have like a Rhystic Study style effect in Commander, but it's also good enough for Constructed. And this is a space that people have talked about for a while. Why doesn't White get Rhystic Study? I, I was shout about this in videos. Rhystic Study should right. have been a White card. So it's cool that they're starting to put that onto White spells. I will say though, Brian, if Esper Sentinel's put it in blue, if Esper Sentinel was one blue, one one, even Human Soldier Artifact, do you think its text might have just let it draw a card on each non-creature spell, not just the first one? Do you think if it was just strictly speaking transferred across the blue, it would have been more powerful? Probably. That's what blue is and does. Though, I don't think it would have been as powerful as they would have made it had they printed it at green, which we all know is now the most powerful color in Magic. Oh, God. We, 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 we could touch upon that as in one of my bits about one of my white cards in a second. So, so Esper Sentinel was gas. It's great. This is the kind of thing we want to see. We want to see load of the ground weenies that are going to draw cards and tax our opponents. So Esper Sentinel is a slam dunk. Absolutely. Then we've got the next, like, the only other real hate bearing in the set that we've seen, which is Sanctifier and Vec. And this is the one that people are uh, memeing about online a little bit, and I am too. Like, why isn't this just a 2-2 bear with Rest in Peace strapped to it? Like, that, that is the argument. Now, I am coming round to the fact that the pro-red, pro-black is very good. It's very hard for it to kill. The decks that care about Rip will often be playing red-black stuff like Dredge and things like that. So th- the protection means they had to peel it back a little bit. But like, where is our rip bear? Is this not the set to print the rip bear? Like, I like I I like it a lot. There's a lot of other cards in this set where that I think is their trend. So I think this came about not in isolation, but there's a lot of really cool effects stapled onto a uh, 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 creature in Modern Definitely. Horizons too, like well known effects. And so, but it's I, straight up, but it's straight up stuff, right? Like yeah. D- Dorothy Voidwalker is the black version of this that has the leyline text on it, where like cards go into your opponent's graveyard just don't go into theirs, just they get exiled. And he's just got that. Right. Full stop. That's it. Where this is like it's only red and black. It's balancing out the protections and stuff. The card seems good in certain matchups, and we'll see some eternal play, sure. But I just, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, that means we're not getting the Rip Bear this set, which means we're not getting the Rip Bear in the next standard set either. We're not going to see the Rip Bear until Modern Horizons 3 at this rate. So, yeah, interesting. I, I, I can see that. That is, a, I guess, a, a little bit of a disappointment. It, it makes for a nice sideboard card, if nothing else. And when you are up against black and red, it, it does a real good job. 
Yeah, and and the, and the decks that care about graveyards are going to be your decks that are playing black and red cards, right? So them not being able to kill it is very, very impressive. And then the the the, th- the third thing that White is doing, in the, the second thing that White is doing that isn't hate bears is like um it seems to be the best color for this like non legend reanimator thing that we see as part of the draft format. There are cards that refer to putting non legendary creatures into your bin and reanimating them and stuff. And White has both Comet Guide, which is a great target to reanimate. You get two bodies for the price of one, and it reanimates on its own from hand. And then Sarah's Emissary, which is a card that I think everyone is sleeping on because this thing is I yeah I think this is like Iona but not legendary. So you reanimate it in the non-legendary deck in Modern, and you name, if you know your opponent's got a Path to Exile, because you fought sees them earlier, you name Instance. If you know your opponent's planes, what, playing Planeswalkers, like Teferi, the three mana Teferi, you name Planeswalkers, and so on and so on. So I don't think this card is good enough to replace Iona or Elishnorn or Grizzlebrand in Legacy, because Reanimator is now pigeonholed into playing the best legendaries they can, because they normally are the most powerful. But in Modern, where they're pushing, with the the, the, the new uh, Animate Dead in this set is non-legendary, Sarah's Emissary is probably the best card in this set, uh, tied with Archon of Cruelty, the, the big black mythic, for things you just reanimate, because they're very hard to deal with, and then they just hits your opponent six, uh, three or four times and kills them. Mm-hmm. So I think people are sleeping on that. And then obviously there's the White Evoke spell as well, which is amazing, the Solitude. This card is going to be seeing play in Modern and Legacy as one to two ofs in the D&T decks. Uh, decks that can get back the card advantage, like Blue-White decks in Modern and Legacy can play it as well. It's probably the best of the cycle, I'd say. Uh, but they're my picks for White. And it's cool to see them do more tax stuff to give the White spe- uh, Evoke creature Swords to Plowshares because it's iconic and it's powerful. And to see them print a big angel that's so powerful and kind of like Staxy in a way considering Iona is a card that everyone hated in Commander. So it's cool. I think this is miles above anything we've seen out of White uh, uh, in uh, recent sets. So I'm... Excited, considering Gavin's saying this is only the, the tip of the iceberg, right? In sure. What we're seeing from White. Sure. And you know what I really like about it, just in terms of White, is that they didn't do what I was afraid they were going to do, which is push into brand new mechanic space where it's just like, oh, now there's mm-hmm. this, we're going to invent this uh, uh, mechanic called, I, I don't know, Light Eminence. And Light Eminence is this wild, out-of-control mechanic that White gets, and now White cards are really strong. But what they've really done here is they've looked at what White does or has wanted to do in the past or does effectively in the past, and they've really dived into making White proud of of just its mechanics and abilities. It feels not like some new thing, but rather some old thing just being brought back and powered up. I like it. I, I like it's it's a celebration of what they maybe were afraid to do in standard. And I think that's a great thing. The 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 other flip side of that though, which I can't not talk about here for talking about good stuff, is that I thought they were going to move into white having artifacts matters and enchantment matters, which is not something Gavin talked about in his video. That's why I thought they were going to go with it. And enchantment matters is 100% green, mildly in white in this set. We've got like um, a creature, Sanctum Weaver, put that up on screen. This is Sarah Sanctum's ability on a body. Uh, All the enchantment effects are either green, white, or just strictly green in this set. So enchantment is modern, which is exciting, but it's in green. And then in artifacts, other things, like Esper Sentinel that I mentioned is an artifact. There's a lot of other cool stuff like that going on. But like the 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 metalwork creature, there's a Sphinx, Enigma Sphinx, I believe it's called. It's a um, um, a affinity cascading spell. Super exciting. Blue white could couldn't just be white, could it? Couldn't just be white. It's it's very strange how again those are things that I thought were obvious places for them to move into without creating new space, but re- like reaffirming old identities. And they seem shy to do that. 
So, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Interesting well, they're stuff. not going to push it all out at the same time, necessarily. It's not all going to happen at once. So. But I think this set tells us that enchantments aren't White's thing now. Right? Enchantments are very much Green's thing, and White gets them secondarily, it seems, in this set. Well, flavor-wise, it makes sense, because Green is the color of nature, Vince. So It, it does, and enchantments definitely happen in nature, so I Absolutely. see exactly what you mean. You know, it's not like we're Have you never been enchanted by a lovely picturesque forest yeah, yeah. It, and 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 it's not like we're going to start seeing something out of flavor for nature like flying creatures which is in white's domain i mean we're not going to have flying creatures in green because green is the color of nature and nature doesn't fly so you know forget about stuff like that but enchantments absolutely uh uh and maybe we'll storms yep. storms are natural yeah that's a natural i mean that's... i don't, I don't want to get bogged down with it too much but it, okay and people should go watch my video on it but yeah greed greed has got like all the toys this set but let's not talk about that now let's not talk about that now. let's let's talk about <laughs> my favorite white card which does everything we just said white is doing which is rashad and dockhand which is a one two merfolk it probably should have been white i would have been really happy if this had been a, a single white drop merfolk, I would have been really happy. But from someone who plays merfolk, I'm even more happy that it's blue because this card is amazing. It has Island Walk, which right off the bat, oh my God. And, and, and they have been going away from Land Walk. They said they don't want to do it in standard anymore. And here we've put it on a merfolk where the most famous strategy is you get Lord of Atlantis into play to give your other merfolks Island Walk. This has it right away turn one. But the biggest thing that Rashadden Dockhand has is Rashadden Port's effect. Spend a mana of any color and tap it to tap target land. And this is so awesome in merfolk it's the perfect merfolk one drop. i'm so jealous yeah it, <laughs> like for people who don't know this is this is the richard and port art on my arm here this is like one of my favorite cards of all time it's played in mono white in legacy and i love it and i was so frustrated to see a we're not getting it in modern and b we got it on a blue body and it's a merfolk like, yeah. what is this it, it really could have been on a white one drop I, I, and a merfolk even a white I, merfolk yeah well yeah, I, exactly. I i don't mean i, I would have been Obviously, I love it because it's a merfolk. And but here's the thing too: it does. And I'm I'm not just saying this. Like I know it's a bit of a meme at this point. You know, white cards, Vince, merfolk cards, prof. But it really is the feel of merfolk because merfolk, what it wants to do is it wants to gain temp. It's tempo. Uh, a swarm and it wants to gain a tempo advantage as it gets all these bodies on the ground and part of that is with cards like spreading seas and so having this effect on a merfolk is in flavor with what a merfolk deck wants to do which is to start getting eking ahead bit by bit and being able to tap down a target land especially early on does give that tempo advantage so it really is what a merfolk wants to do if this had been a one white drop obviously we wouldn't have looked at it and said oh gee if only that was a merfolk but if this had been a one white drop merfolk because merfolk have been in white before it actually makes a lot of flavor sense or maybe a white blue hybrid where it could have been one blue or one white maybe that's too oh. powerful that could have no, been, be been great yeah that could have been it could have been dock hand shaman and have three abilities right Right. Yeah. But I love a, this card. It's totally replacing uh, Curse Catcher, uh, which has previously been one of the, the go-to one-drops in Merfolk. There have been a couple others. Uh, this really also puts Merfolk back in, in just mono blue in both Legacy and Modern. People keep trying to bring in Tropical Fish for various uh, 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 Ixalan Merfolk to be part I, of the I do want to go on record, Prof, as saying yeah. I think this card might be overrated. I love the design of it. 
I wish it was in white so I could play with it in D&T. But I'm scared that summoning sick Russian import isn't good enough. Wow. So uh, I'm just going to say that now. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to yuck your yum because you're obviously excited. No, That's not I, what I'm trying to do. You really got but my I, attention. Yeah. This, this is how long have we been doing the podcast now, Vince? I mean, we're, we're going on <laughs> three years. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say now, about 45 minutes, but yeah, three years. <laughs> <laughs> three years. That's the first time you've ever called me Prof and not Brian. Jeez, that really Did got I? my attention. Yeah, you just said Prof. You've oh, never called me Oh, that's because I was prof. being delicate. I was being very you're delicate. Being delicate. I was like, yeah. You're, you're, hey, you're, Prof, you've never... I don't think it's very good. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it might be good. I, I, I really, I'm happy to be wrong, but yeah, I'm wondering if people are overhyping it. The more and more I look at it, the more and more I look at it. Well, I think part yeah. of the thing is, is that I don't know that this is so good that other decks are going to want it, but I think it's really good for Merfolk. And I think that's what's getting a lot of attention is Merfolk has always been, again, it actually is, I talk about this in one of my modern videos uh, with the Masters of Modern, where if you look at GP top eight finishes, Merfolk is one of the most successful decks because it has n possibly the most GP top eight finishes of any deck currently in the meta. It's always just not good enough. It's won a couple GPs and that's it, but it's it's not like this joke of a deck. It just can't seem to break through and it, 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 it needs that little push. And that's part of what's appealing about it is that if you can just crack the code on Merfolk to get it through, maybe it'll do that. And so I think that while this isn't a card that is great on its own. It's a card that goes great into Merfolk's curve. It's so much better than Curse Catcher. It does a lot of what Merfolk wants to do. And speaking of which, we have the Merfolk God, uh, I'm probably mispronouncing this right, Svelin of Sea and Sky, Zvilum, Zvilin, whatever it is, the Sea and Sky Merfolk God. What an amazing card. This is also going to replace our normal three drop on curve of Kira Great Glass Spinner, I believe. I think this is way better than Kira yeah. Grace Gla the, Great Glass Spinner. Is there a functional difference between the ward text and what Kira does now? Because Kira has effectively ward, right? It counts as a spell unless you pay one. Uh, oh, no, it counts as the first spell. Right. It's, yeah, it's yeah, actually... So it's slightly different, but it's very similar mechanically, well, but with way more text on it. Right, way more text on it. right. Uh, it's, it's not the same. You, you could argue Kira's a little bit like by, like, I'd rather have the Kira, uh, uh, ability on this because the Kira ability is, is, uh, there's no way around it. Whenever this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability for the first time each turn, counter that spell of ability. This, you have to pay one. So the Kira ability is better, but we have the advantage of whenever... This card attacks, we draw a card, which is pretty wild. We have the advantage of it being indestructible if we control two other merfolk, which by turn three we likely do. We have the advantage that this is not just a, a god. I was worried when I heard that there was going to be a merfolk god that it would be a merfolk-relevant card, but that it wouldn't have the merfolk creature type on it. And it has it, so that means it will gain things like Island Walk from Lord of Atlantis. So while it's not quite as good as Kira which obviously is is better counter effect. Yeah. I'm going to trade out my Kiras for this God of Sea and Sky. Maybe I'll trade them back. Maybe it's just hard to beat that no, Mate, no this, out this counter. Mate, this card is insane. Yeah. This card is ridiculous. Like, when I saw it, I thought it was one of those custom cards that someone was passing off because I was like, oh, it's three mana, sure. Okay, so three lines of text, sure. Right. It says draw a card on it, okay. And then I was like, oh, it's a three, four? Like, how has it got all these things? I think, you are right, like, Kira's probably better as a defensive spell against, like, playing against a format where it's just Jun.deck all the time where it's got, like, 16 removal spells. 
But besides that, like, drawing a card when attacking is nuts. And then she's a 3-4, but with a Lord of Atlantis or two out, she's now huge, because she's a Murphy, mm-hmm. like said, relevant creature type. And I know I just said that Rashid and Dock Hand is bad, but actually, if this card taxes your opponent one mana per spell they want to kill your Murphy with, like, in upkeep, tapping one of their lands with Rashid and Dock Hand makes this card even better. Right. So by virtue, I've changed my opinion already now that we've reread Sylvian, because... Or Selvian, I don't know what the name is. But see, that's the thing that I'm saying is that these cards go into Merfolk so well. They're going, yeah. they they aren't by themselves crazy broken, but they fit into what Merfolk is trying to do so well. And so does yet another Merfolk card, Tide Shaper, which is a Merfolk wizard for one blue. It's a one one, but it has a kicker of one of an additional color, just one. So you're spending one blue and then one of any color. And then if you do, when Tide Shaper enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, target land becomes an island for as long as Tide Shaper remains on the battlefield. Plus, Tide Shaper gets plus one, plus one, as long as an opponent controls an island, which the kicker cost does, meaning it can be a 2-2 uh, uh, a in that occurrence. That is essentially spreading seas, which is uh, an, one of my favorite things to do in modern merfolk because you're disrupting their mana, which is what disru- the Rashad and Port merfolk does as well. So we're adding to that idea of mana disruption. Here we get it on a body. So one of the things that's often very disappointing about Spreading Seas is you cast it on your turn two. Yes, you get the mana disruption, but you're not building your board. Here we can get the mana disruption as well as build our board, as well as if they do something to remove that land like yeah, I've, I've ghost caught. I've ghost caught myself to stop spreading season. Like of course, occasion. people have done that yeah. as well. Uh, and then your spell just fizzles. In this case, you still get the tide shaper. Uh, and if they have any islands in play, like they're a blue player, you you can also just hard cast it for one and have a two two for one. Something to something to point out as well for people at home is that like um, for people who haven't played with Murphic or against Murphic before, Spreading Seas and this turns the land into an island, not in addition to its other types, just becomes an island. Right. So if your opponent has one swamp in play and you hit it with this, they no longer have access to black mana. Right. So Spreading Seas both draws you a card, enables Island Walk, and screws the matter colours. And this is the same thing, but instead of drawing a card, it, it effectively gives you a guaranteed 2-2 instead of drawing you a card, which in Murphic is probably better than the card you're going to draw anyway. Because you don't want to draw an island, you want to draw another Murphic. It's just fantastic in that sense it's just fantastic and and again all of these things what i love about it is it isn't just i was always afraid what was going to happen was we were going to get another true name nemesis right true name nemesis should has no reason to be a merfolk it could be any creature and it would make just as little sense right that's not a merfolk thing all three of these merfolk that we've talked about just like the white cards we talked about they embody what merfolk are they embody what merfolk does uh, and, and True Name Nemesis, is sh- like, when I tell people I don't like True Name Nemesis, they go, I thought you were the Merfolk guy. And I go, I am, but True Name Nemesis doesn't do what Merfolk do. It, it, it's just a really amazing card that happens to be a Merfolk, so of course you run it in Legacy Merfolk, because it's just so incredibly good. These cards are capturing everything I love about Merfolk, and they're bringing it to the forefront, and maybe that's also part of why I love this set so much. Not just because, yeah, it's got some great Merfolk, I'm not that easy to, to win over, but all the cards in this set are diving into not just the nostalgia, but the flavor of what cards do. We're seeing so much. Look at things like Ornithopter of Paradise that came out today, that this card isn't just a good artifact. It's a card that is tapping into Ornithopter and Birds of Paradise and things that we love about those cards and what they do and, and bringing it to the forefront. 
Uh, and there's countless other examples of this throughout the set. It's just fantastic. And it has fetch yeah. lands in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The set is gas. It's real gas. Um, before we move completely on from Merfolk and yeah. talking about cards like good in the set, how do you feel about the blue evoke creature? Are you going to try playing that in Merfolk? I think it's one of the worst of the cycle. Obviously, red came in at the clutch last minute to take worst place. But how do you feel about subtlety? I don't think that I'm going to run it in Merfolk. I don't know that that would be uh, a good spot to run it. I think Merfolk might be interested in just straight up hard counterspell. We've got double blue counterspell, yeah. and uh, you know Merfolk likes to run some counterspells. I yeah, think... you've played Despise and Demand in the past, haven't you? So why not sure. like a raw, yeah? Well, it goes very well with Force of Negation, which is a, a, another one that Merfolk took to Force of Negation very well. And I think that hard counterspell will go very well where we might pitch it for Force. We might have it if we want to do hard counter. Again, Merfolk's all about gets eking ahead bit by bit. I think that works better than any other counterspell currently. But Subtlety, I don't know where it has a home in Modern. Uh, it's not in Merfolk. I think it's generally not very good, but yeah, I just was curious as to whether you were hyped for it or not. I don't think it's that good at all. I think it's definitely one of the weaker of them. So we've talked about what we like in uh, uh, white D&T, that sort of stuff. We've talked about Merfolk as well, but what I did want to do as a bit of almost like a vanity thing is I want both of us to pick something that we think is going to be one of the best or the, the best card in the set so that we can, when we do modern whatever the next video where we talk about two years ago what we were doing uh we can point to and be like see we do get things right we do get things right so do you have a pick for like card that you think is absurd you can't believe they printed it into modern that you think might even be broken i do but i just want to be clear are we talking hogak level broken or are we talking that this is the most absurd card in the set because they mean different things to me i i see a card that it floors me that they did this but i don't think it's hogak level broken it just floors me that they did it I'm talking in two years' time, it will be an iconic, powerful part of Eternal Magic. It may have been banned somewhere, because I forget Ren and Six is legal in modern, but not in Legacy, for example. So I'm talking Ren and Six, Hogak, Astrolabe, Urza levels of like uh, powerful cards okay. that people remember. So uh, this is not that. I do want to give a shout out to Ignoble Hierarch, though, which is basically just Noble Hierarch, uh, but Jund. I, I was floored when I saw this. I can't believe that they would print this. I can't believe that they would now open the door for the idea that there's going to be a cycle of uh, uh, cards like this. And I, I think this is just, it's, we know how powerful Noble Hierarch is. We know how great Noble Hierarch is. And the idea of, cool, now we're going to do Noble Hierarch, but in some different colors, some powerful colors. I mean, you said earlier about how cards get better when they have the good creature type, right? And you mentioned how Merfolk makes things like circumstantially better. This is a goblin, which is not, it's, it's not not valid. It's it's hugely relevant because so many decks now that might be in green red or might even splash into green has a good mana dork that's also a goblin. So it's a body for the goblin strategies as well. It's really good. Yes, it's really super good. Uh, but uh, I would honestly have said Solitude might be that card since we already mm -hmm. talked about it. I'll say Grief then, uh, but I think Solitude's yeah. better than Grief, personally. I think Solitude's much more likely to to be the sort... You know what, also, when you get to that level of, like, when are they going to ban something? It's when people playing it makes the opponent legitimately miserable and defeated, and I feel like Solitude will have that effect, that just Solitude is just going to be a feel-bad situation if it starts becoming a regular thing to expect. Uh, I think Grief is really, really good as well, 
and I, I, I think that grief and solitude are, are my tie pick. Yeah, I'm gonna name I mean, them. they're going to make you feel bad like the Force World does now, even though it would be completely fair, because the opponent's traded two cards in for your one. It would right. be completely fair, but it would still feel awful. Um, my pick for yes. things that I just cannot believe has the text it has on it, and I just right. can't see this not being pushed, is the Delphi Voidwalker. I referenced yes. it a little bit earlier. It's got it's a two mana three two, so it's already an uptick from an old shadow creature that was a two mana two two. It's already better than an old version. Uh, uncommon. This is rare. It then has text that says if a card will be put into opponent's grave from anywhere, it's that exile it with a void counter on it. So it's the layer of the void text, but with an extra bit about void counters. And then you can tap and sacrifice the Voidwalker to cast without paying the mana cost the card that was put in the graveyard. So, worst case scenario, you're playing a 2-mana 3-2 unblockable. That's the worst case scenario. Literally worst case scenario. That'll die to a bolt. That's worst case scenario. Best case scenario, you play this on turn 2, you untap, you thought sees their Ugin, their Primeval Titan, their, their Urza, their anything, and then you just... Tap, sack him, and cast an Ugin, or Urza, or Primetime. The upside is so insane on a 3-2 evasive body that also hates out graveyard circumstantially that I kind of am shocked that it has all three lines of text on one body at two mana. At least it costs two black, so it's not so easy to splash. But I think this is a kind of... This is like Dreadhorde Arcanist level, um, sort of Bob level of, like, it's a threat, it's evasive, it does all this extra stuff... It's good on so many levels. So I can't imagine this card not seeing play in both Legacy and Modern. It's crazy. Crazy. It's, it's a wild set. And I have one question for you as we reach the end of this podcast, which is, do you think there will be a Modern Horizons 3 or do you think they're going to pull a Modern Masters and begin changing the name from modern to other things because they don't want to put all the emphasis on the modern format. So for those who are not sure. elderlies, such as Vince and myself, master sets were originally modern masters for the first several iterations. It was supposed to be reprints for modern, and then they got tired of the modern format, I, I suppose, or they wanted to break new ground, or I don't know what the thinking was, but they began with eternal masters and then all kinds of variations on masters. I don't believe they ever came back to calling a set modern masters. I wonder... No, they, they, they did jump away and back and then away again. because they, they never losses. jumped... I don't believe they ever jumped back no, again. because three was after Iconic. Oh, no. Three was after maybe Eternal. I don't know. I don't... Yeah, there's, I, there's definitely a gap between... There's definitely something before three. So they yes. did come back. But we haven't been back. No. Yeah. And, and, and I wonder if they might say, wow, this sold great. And it's two years later, maybe we should do Commander Masters, essentially. Or I'm sorry, not Commander Masters. Commander Horizons, maybe. Or Eternal Horizons, where, you know. But, but they my lose. argument is, yes. Commander Legends is Commander Horizons. Because it only goes into Commander Legacy Vintage. Sure. That's that fair. already exists. So I guess the argument is, so I, I, I see what you're saying. I, I agree with you. I think it will happen. But do they do, do, they do Pioneer Horizons? Because... Does, does anyone care about Pioneer? Do they do Historic Horizons? Yeah, I, um, I mean, that could be an interesting way. I think that a lot of people want to see... We used to argue that they should bring Pioneer to Arena, and now we argue they should bring Historic to paper. So maybe what they're going to do is something called Historic Horizons, and the point of it is to establish Historic as a paper format 
and uh, 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 br bridge the digital and paper gap, which would be very clever. Remember when they were talking yeah. about Pioneer Her Pioneer Masters as an arena-only <laughs> yeah. set? Yeah, and they Remember haven't mentioned that? it for 18 months now or something. Yes. It's not been mentioned at all. <laughs> yes, uh, it's like that that the, the little girl from Family Matters, she just disappeared in between seasons, and, and we, 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 don't, we, we never speak of her again. Uh, uh, they've done that with Pioneer <laughs> Masters. I think Pioneer is not... Uh, a horse to put your bet on. I think historic is what we want to yeah. put our bet on. I think that could be interesting, but Modern Horizons is so tied to modern in the sense of we're creating new made just for modern cards with our return, hopefully to paper competitive events, whatever form that's going to take. Modern could be a real good spotlight format. It's selling packs. They always used to say, you can't have modern as a, a pro tour format. It doesn't sell packs. Well, it does sell packs. It sells some of the most expensive packs in Magic maybe the idea of breaking away from Modern Horizons and saying Eternal Horizons, Historic Horizons is a huge mistake. Just stay it's, the course. This is a, yeah, a home run. Bring out Modern it's, Horizons it's 3. It's sad that you say that, though, because like this set kind of convinces me that there are people at Wizards who have some sway that do care about legacy and modern and these they formats do. that I have said on many occasions are just going to fall to the wayside because they're just not monetizable in the same way that other things are. So if we did see Modern Horizons disappear and the next one was Historic Horizons, if we then jump back to Modern Horizons 3 further down the line, that would kind of be the, the not the last nail in the coffin, but, or a death nail, but all those are very dramatic terms, right? But it would make me think that that's it now. They're not really too bothered mm -hmm. about those formats. Because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm waiting to see where I can play Modern again. There won't be any PTQs or GPTs or, because none of that's the, that that's is a whole, another, that's a whole different, yeah, that's topic. a whole other episode. <laughs> But unlike Legacy, we can monetize modern in such a way that promoting it as a competitive format sells packs because here are the packs. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if we see Modern Horizons 3 come in and it's even more expensive than Modern Horizons 2. There's some interesting predictions. I want to end, Vince, on a very important question. And I'm being completely serious. You and I have both been the biggest some of the biggest advocates in this community, not just for reprints, but for Fetchland reprints. We have been beating that drum loud and hard, and here we have them. You mentioned all the different treatments of Fetchlands potentially having an effect on price. I want mm -hmm. to know from you, do you consider this an acceptable reprinting of Fetchlands, or are you still not satisfied until we see them at rare in a $4 pack, or do you think we're never going to get that? This is the best we're going to get. So best we're going to get is this, or we can do better. That's what I want to know. Not dream, but reality. Can we do those, better? Can we yeah, beat that drum? Right? Can we beat that drum still, or is it done? Is the reprint Fetchlands thing over? So they you're saying, them. yeah, but can we do better? I need to clarify. We, is that you and me, or is that Wizards? As a content creator, Vince... You said reprint Fetchlands. I said reprint Fetchlands. We said it as as such a motto. You put it on a t-shirt. It really was a big call. I said reprint Oubliette, and they did, and I've stopped saying reprint Oubliette. Do you feel Fetchlands have been reprinted to the point that you will not be saying reprint Fetchlands anymore? Oh, okay, that question. The answer to that question is no. <laughs> No, 100% you don't think no. They've been yeah. no, 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 they're not, they're not going to be enough, no. Can we do better? I wasn't sure if you were asking if like, collectively us and Wizards, Wizards can do better, they can put them okay, in the I wanted your opinion on how effective, I wanted your opinion on, on, on this in the, a real the, kind of black and white way, so you're going to Of course, and the, say, and the problem is, the problem yeah. is, is that we don't really know right now, because they're printing it in a way that we have no precedent to look back at, 
to understand what this is going to do because we've had them reprinted in Modern Masters 3, which is a premium price master set. So it was limited run premium price. This is unlimited run premium price. And beyond that, we've got three different booster treatments. We've got three or four different frames of fetch lands in varying products. So there's, there, it's so confusing. And perhaps this is part of just, or uh, an unintended side effect that's good for them. It's it's impossible for us to really tell until we look back six months. And that sounds like a cop-out. And people said on my video when I said this, this is a cop-out. It's not a cop-out because I always try and look backwards at trends and figure out from there. And we have no trend to go on. So, I don't think it is good enough, but there's a chance there's so much product in the wild and people love this so much and they crack so much of it that the prices generally go down. But I'm not convinced that's going to be the case. Does that make sense? Is that it does. quite clear and concise? Yeah. It does. I, I think we may have gotten there. I think that yeah. while I feel they could do better, well, I always wanted these in $4 boosters. Yeah. I feel, now obviously I don't know, everything you just said is 100% true, but if I were a gambling man... Uh, which I'm actually not, but if I were, I kind of feel in my gut that I think that because of what I've seen in terms of the effect on prices from collector boosters mm -hmm. on card prices, albeit that's for standard, foils, albeit that's for standard, I think that we may see that effect for Fetchlands, and I kind of think in my gut we got the effect we wanted, even if it wasn't through the means we wanted of them putting fetch lands at rare and $4 packs. And I think that when we're a week out from Modern Horizons 2 launch, we might be talking about the lowest priced fetch lands of all time, including when they were in standard in $4 packs during Constantark here, or at I the very least right. matched. I, I think we might see some fetch lands somewhere uh, uh, of these that were reprinted at the very least comparable to cons of Tarkir prices of the of, of, of those fetch lands, which is when they were in $4 standard packs, which is the effect yeah. we're looking for. I think they the cowards might have reprinted fetch lands, and I, I, that's, I think they did. <laughs> I think I might actually say, Vince, are you ready? Oh, are you ready? Yeah, I'm going to say it. Thank you, Wizards of the Coast, for reprinting fetch lands, finally. 